This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome psychologists Dr. Lauren Fogel-Mercy and Dr. Jennifer Vensel to the show. Dr. Lauren received training at the University of Minnesota's Institute for Sexual and Gender Health before opening her own practice as a sex therapist. And Dr. Jennifer is an AASECT certified therapist at Mayo Clinic. In their practices, Dr. Lauren and Dr. Jennifer saw how common it was for couples to experience differences in sex drive that were really hard to navigate, especially after having a baby. They found that the literature on the topic was often steeped in gender norms and felt outdated with stereotypes. So they co-authored the book Desire, an inclusive guide to navigating libido differences in relationships to provide a more nuanced and comprehensive look into sex drive and desire. As you can imagine, this is a topic that comes up a lot in my community. Whether we are the low desire partner or the high desire partner, sex drive differences can feel like a major relationship roadblock. And those differences are very common after having a baby for so many reasons. It can begin to feel like we're ships passing in the night. Between crying babies, toddlers, the invisible load, sleep deprivation, sex can become one more thing on the to-do list when both partners aren't actively desiring it. Today, Dr. Jennifer and Dr. Lauren and I unpack the two types of sex drive and why responsive desire is often hard to access in parenthood. We also dive into the components that need to be in place to cultivate desire, the role that the invisible load and household labor play in sexual desire, and the physical and emotional barriers in place that keep us from having the sex lives we might want, along with how to navigate those differences and stay connected with our partners. This is a really important episode that I know so many of you need and want to hear because we have these conversations in DMs together all the time. This is a really important episode. But before jumping in, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Lauren Lee and it's titled Awesome. This podcast is great. As a social worker in a local maternal infant health program, this is a perfect resource for me to share with my clients to help them better understand their postpartum concerns. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave this review, Lauren. It means so much to hear that the podcast is being spread to other moms and parents through the work that you do and able to support them through their postpartum period. It's such a vulnerable time, and I know the toll it can take on our mental health. I appreciate you and the work that you do in your community. Now let's hear my conversation with psychologists Dr. Foran Logal-Mercy and Dr. Jennifer Vensel. Has becoming a parent created a strain in your relationship? If so, you are far from alone. In fact, 67% of parents report a decline in satisfaction in their relationship during the first three years of baby's life. Parenthood brings new responsibilities, new stresses, and new potential sources of conflict. You might find yourself trying to cope with an imbalance in household labor or feeling unseen, unheard, and unappreciated. When your needs aren't being met, it can lead to a lack of intimacy and an increase in resentment. And when you start to feel resentful, it often becomes even more difficult to connect and communicate with your partner, creating a vicious cycle. If you're finding yourself feeling resentful, frustrated, or angry with your partner, talking to a specialized therapist who understands this adjustment can help. Mom therapists will help you work through your resentment, understand your emotions, help you set boundaries, communicate your needs, and help you explore what's really going on underneath your frustration. We provide virtual therapy support across Canada and are now serving 25 states in the U.S. 
Ready to learn more? Head to momwell.com slash booking to set up a free 15-minute virtual consultation. That's momwell.com slash booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Lauren, Dr. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I was joking a moment ago off air, like, when I tell you I am stoked about this conversation, (laughs) I've been so excited about it since we've booked it, since I've been reading the book. Can't wait to dive in. So thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. I'm so curious how this book came about. Dr. Lauren, you're kind of from around my hometown area. We know some mutual friends. We have some connections. And how do you go from your PhD in like your PsyD into writing a book about desire and all the sex therapy glory that comes with that. Like, how did this come about? I'm so curious. You know, Jen and I met through the University of Minnesota through our postdoctoral training. We both uh, were trained in the same program. And as I was sort of finishing up my time there, she was coming in. So we crossed paths and stayed in touch over some time, just kind of having a similar professional interests and and similar training backgrounds. You'd kind of gravitate towards other like-minded people. And I had realized that so often I'm saying the same thing over and over to the people that I work with around desire and libido and some of the struggles that people experience. And one of the things I noticed is that I didn't have a good book to refer folks to that wasn't only geared towards women, and particularly women as the low libido partner. Mm -hmm. And we know that while that might be the stereotype, that's not everybody's experience. In fact, low libido can be, you know, people of any gender can experience that. So I had this idea like, gosh, we need a book that's just more in-depth, that's more comprehensive, that talks about libido, not just low, but high and the differences. And we want something that we can just hand to anyone who comes to a sex therapist or to see someone like us or or just folks maybe who have that concern. So we went out to dinner one night and I had a very particular agenda in mind <laughs> to pitch this to Jen and see if she would take a chance and spend some of her precious free time writing a book. And I was shocked when she said that she would do it. And so I'm I'm forever grateful for that. And so we teamed up and that was about six years ago that we started on that journey. 
Wow. For anyone who's been through the publishing, the grueling journey that is book writing and the process, so happy that you did. I agree. In reading this book for preparation, like I read a lot of books. I do a lot of interviews. And this was like the book that I feel like every mom needs, Mm -hmm. every woman needs. Like there's so many essential pieces discussed kind of out the gate. Gender norms is something that we discuss a lot on the podcast here. And we've talked even about different faith communities, how that shapes our concept of motherhood or traditional gender norms and how that shapes how we envision our role. And so many of those things ring true when we're talking about sex and our sexuality and our romantic connection with our partner. And I love that these pieces were woven in kind of this like rule book that we carry into our romantic relationships. Because while sex is such a physical thing, it's such a mental and emotional thing. And there can be so many barriers there. I feel like especially for women, if that's accurate to say. I think there's a lot of accuracy in that, uh, you know, some of the systemic parts around like patriarchy and gender norms have really unfortunately harmed women in so many ways. Like, you know, we talk about mental load. I'm sure that's something that comes up a lot, you know, with your audience and with your content. Mm -hmm. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And these are things that are, we are taught these messages and taught these rules, quote unquote, from a really early age, right? And so it often takes some unpacking and some unlearning and relearning to start to step away from those. Mm Mm-hmm. Things like purity culture or virginity and all of these concepts or things we may have been taught in faith groups or different cultural groups were examined as a part of the book to help us sort of see that so much of what we think about sex is sort of observed or taught to us over the years. And I know as somebody who grew up in an evangelical background with lots of beliefs about sex and purity culture, those were journeys that I had to take myself as well. So I thought that it was such an important piece that plays a role in libido, but all sorts of our like relationship with sex and our bodies. I would love if we could start off with defining libido. Because one of the things that comes in, like this is a hot topic in the community. I'll just like summarize the themes of some of the messages that come in. There is a lot of, I've been cleared for sex postpartum at the six-week mark, and I want zero things to do with sex right now. Like, is that okay? Mm -hmm. And my partner has a higher desire than I have. And, you know, I just don't want, I don't want sex. And sometimes this goes a little bit further into the invisible load, which there was recently a study that came out about where like, I'm just caring so much and I'm just so mentally exhausted. I feel like my partner doesn't support me. So like, I don't even want to be sexual with them. So there is some desire, some mismatch of desire, some just like, I don't even want to go there with you. And then some, I'm the high desire partner Mm. and maybe I'm pregnant or I'm postpartum. And my partner is a little like, I don't know if I want to like chance anything. Like, I don't know if I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt the baby. And so sometimes it's also mom who's the high desire. But those are some major themes come up and they're all sort of around this libido and and wanting sex. So if we could define that. Yeah, really common, common concern, certainly in my office, I suspect for Lauren as well. I think we have to start by recognizing the fact that there are two different types of sexual desire, two different types of libido. And we use those terms, desire and libido interchangeably to essentially mean an interest in sex, right? 
that simplistic. However, as we know, it's not that simple, right? And so there are two different types or styles of sexual desire. One of those is spontaneous and one is responsive. And what we often find in our culture is that spontaneous desire is the only thing that's represented. It's what we see in the movies and the shows Mm -hmm. we watch and the books we read, the fictional books we read often. This is that kind of sounds like what it is, right? Spontaneous interest in sex that kind of comes out of the blue, right? Kind of hits like a lightning bolt. There's not necessarily an identifiable trigger here. It is also a very bodily experience that tends to be paired about the same time as physical arousal, so much so that people often don't distinguish those things as different, right? So physical Mm. arousal in the sense of lubrication, genital swelling, erections, kind of those tingly feelings of physiological sexual arousal in the body. For people with spontaneous desire, their mental interest, their psychological interest in sex often happens at the same time as the arousal. Again, so much so that they don't see them as different things, even though they are slightly different, right? Hmm. And so the script that we have culturally around spontaneous desire is that that is what has to happen in order to start a sexual experience. And if you're somebody who's not having a lot of spontaneous desire, and some people never have spontaneous desire, certainly this is really common for this to go down postpartum for sure. If you're not having that very often and you're waiting for spontaneous desire to mysteriously strike you in order to start a sexual experience, well, you could be waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Mm -hmm. We often find that sexual partners, one person is more spontaneous and the other is more responsive. And so we have these different styles or different types of libido that require navigation. Mm -hmm. And would that account for the mismatch then in like the who pursues and initiates and who doesn't and where we feel like one person maybe wants it more than the other. This like how we desire sex or how we initiate or get into the mood for sex is different. So it feels maybe one-sided at times. Yeah. I'd say that most typically what we see is the folks who have more spontaneous desire tend to be also pursuing sex or in that sort of initiator role, maybe more frequently because of just the nature of how that system works for them, you know, the the desire comes online and then it's let's go seek out a sexual connection or experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas for responsive desire, it's often something that happens sort of like the name implies in response to arousal. Sometimes arousal has to come online first or pleasurable stimuli or something sexually relevant. And so you know, especially for moms and especially moms of little kiddos who just take up a lot of space and need your constant care and attention. And you may not get five minutes to even think about anything else if you're, you know, working and tending to them all day. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of contextual information that's usually sexy or sexual to respond to. And so it makes good sense then that you're not experiencing desire, arousal, sexual interest, because there's not a lot that is happening in your world at the moment to work with. Hmm. So if you're a more responsive style, it's really sensible that that's really not top of mind and even hard to cultivate. Hmm. Like you got Coco Melon on in the background or Bluey, you're touched out. You maybe haven't showered in like two days, not feeling the most sexy, probably covered in spit up in house clothes or PJs the last two days, like all the things, not really the most, you know, cultivating environment. And I hear this from moms where it's like, I haven't even eaten, you know, I haven't Mm -hmm. showered. Like 
this is just not top of priority list for me. And I imagine there's a hierarchy of needs. I imagine like desire and like sexual fulfillment probably falls under feeding yourself and taking care of your body. Sleep. Right. So can we talk a little bit about Mm -hmm. that? Like, especially in the early postpartum period, because now that my children are older, they're on a routine, like it's a little bit different. But there was just like no time, no opportunity even for myself to sleep and take care of my own mental health and physical health. So those times are so difficult that like should sex be a priority on my brain during this time? Depends on the person, right? If we think about from an evolutionary standpoint, from a physical needs and survival needs standpoint, if you're exhausted, if you haven't slept in days or have not slept well in weeks, right? Your body is going to prioritize fatigue and taking care of fatigue over taking the time to get aroused, maybe have an orgasm, right? Connect in this way. Sleep is always going to win when we're comparing sleep and sex, right? Mm -hmm. Some people with strong spontaneous desire can kind of overcome that fatigue. But if you're somebody who's more responsive in nature, chances are that fatigue is going to win out most of the time unless you're very intentionally cultivating the responsive desire. Mm -hmm. We have to have sleep right? Sex is optional. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week, like breakfast, on the go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Hi, 
if I'm the maybe higher desire partner or I've got a high drive that like I, I explained it to my my partner as like breaks into my awareness. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like it's like I'm aware that there is desire there or arousal or just like thoughts about it. Usually cyclical with my cycle and we can yeah. get to some of those pieces that play a role. But it's like just not top of mind. Whereas if my desire is stronger or maybe when I am ovulating or certain times of the month, it might be top of mind and it kind of just ebbs and flows. Or if I've had sleep, maybe I do think about it more and it breaks into my awareness. Or maybe it doesn't, but I'm more open and willing. And I know that this is a part of that responsive desire piece. And we can talk about what is sort of, I guess, needed, I think it was how it was phrased. Is there four components? Can we go through that desire piece? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is sort of four requirements or four staples or tenets, however you'd like to say it, of cultivating responsive desire. Mm. And things like time and timing. So when you're in the midst of tending to your children, that's maybe not good timing for a partner to initiate something sexual with you. Mm. That's a good sort of boundary and good reason to have that boundary around, you know, when we're caring for our children, when we're with our children, when we're in the middle of putting them to bed or we're in the middle of, you know, feeding, things like this. So time and timing is really important consent is huge. That's the number one, you know, Mm. it's not something that we can coerce or try to push or force on someone. It needs to be something that everyone is open to doing. So consent is really key. I've heard from partners around kind of the consent piece of things with responsive desire, where the higher libido, more spontaneous partner will say to the quote unquote lower libido, but actually more responsive style of desire partner, well, you just need to start with me. Like, mm. let's get started and then you'll feel good. And then your responsive desire will kick in and like all will be well. And while that actually might be true, right? The way that that's being approached has created so much pressure that it actually kind of cancels everything out. Mm. So this is not something that a partner can sort of coerce into or cajole into, right? This really has to be from the individual person or the more responsive desire person in this example. Yeah. This is where we sort of talk about willingness in the book, right? willingness is not a yes or no. It's not a yes, I'm willing to go do this with you. No, I'm not. We talk about this as a spectrum using like a zero to 10 scale. Zero being not only am I not having spontaneous desire right now, I'm not just like horny out of the blue, but I'm not really in a place where I have the time. I'm not in a place where I can focus on this. I just can't get there right now Mm -hmm. versus, you know, a nine or a 10 on the willingness scale where it's, yeah, I'm still not having spontaneous desire. I'm still not super horny right now, but baby's asleep. We have some time. I freshly showered. I'm feeling good and a little bit more relaxed than usual. Yeah. I'm willing to kind of get started and see what happens. See if I can get that responsive desire online. Those are very different scenarios. It makes me chuckle a little bit because you went through like the list in the book of like things that we go through in our mind and in preparation for sex or intimacy and we joke about like, is the window open or closed? Like, are the stars aligned today? Or are they not aligned today? Like, what needs to happen in order for this to happen, right? But there are just so many factors, especially I think when we're talking mothers, we're talking the invisible load, mental health, possibly medications, which was a big part of our desire conversation in stories. There are so many variables here that I think are invisible and therefore go like misunderstood or not represented in a part of the equation. 
one of the things that you had said, like, if you're in pain or have chronic pain, like, you're not thinking about, you know, being intimate, likely you're, you're uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. lots of other pieces. So can we break down, like, what is, is there a common list that people go through? Do the stars just have to align for me or do they have to align for other people as well? I think it depends if your style is more responsive or spontaneous. And of course, there's individual difference within those styles. Mm-hmm. But what I tend to see is that I, I jokingly and, and lovingly kind of talk to um, you know folks that I work with about like, you know, for someone who's got spontaneous desire and they're really motivated to be sexual, maybe like the kitchen has like a little bit of smoke going on. There's like something's on fire and you're like, we got time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like you can overcome that, that some of those things just don't hit the brakes. They're not barriers for you. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think when you're describing like the stars align, we go through this like checklist of things. Like, do I feel too hungry? Not too full, not bloated. I'm not like, you know, feeling gassy. Do I feel like, you know, good in my body today? Do this, this, this. this. And it's so hard to come by like a yes to all of those things. Mm-hmm. All of them, right? And, right. and when do they all yeah. come yeah. together, right? Like so seldom, if ever. Yeah. So that yeah. usually to me, someone who's experiencing that sort of going through like, oh, I need so many things to sort of add up. Those are usually folks who describe having more of a responsive style. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more things that can hit the brakes, and there are things that we need to do to at least lift some of those brakes or maybe set some of them aside in order to be able to be present. Because, you know, I realized we named two of the, the things that we needed the consent and the timing. The other two tenets for responsive desire are pleasure and focus. So mm-hmm. with the mental checklist, when you're going through like, when's the last time I showered and do, are the dishes piling up? And did I call the repair person to come? You know, when you're doing all that in your mind, you have a hard time focusing on what's happening in the moment. And if mm-hmm. you can't focus in the moment, you may not be able to experience that fourth tenet, which is pleasure. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of a an article that recently came out talking about how when in like heterosexual couples, when women are the one carrying the invisible load and they view their partner as more of a dependent than an equal partner, that their desire goes down as a result because there's probably resentment at play. They probably feel like there is unfairness and they carry and they do more. They feel unseen, unacknowledged. This is a major, major thing that comes up in our community. And then sort of on the heels of that, a lot of what I hear is, well, I should be having sex. Like, are they going to go outside of the marriage for sex if we're like in a monogamous relationship and that's, you know, the expectations or like they do it out of a duty, which I think is how it's addressed in the book, out of a duty and a, I want to preserve my relationship place than an actual this is also for my own enjoyment and pleasure type of place. So like motherhood and the load we carry, but also wanting to adjust in our relationship, it becomes this very weird, like the roles that we have to balance essentially, right? Because we've got motherhood and all its invisible load. We've got, I'm a wife. I feel like I have a duty or I'm a partner. You know, I feel like I have a duty. And those can be in conflict with each other at times, I feel like. That study that you're referencing, one of the senior authors on that study is Sari Van Anders, um, who's doing some incredible research around low libido and kind of mediators and things that affect low libido in 
heterosexual partnerships. And we actually reference a lot of her research in our book. Um, she and some of her colleagues have published on what they call the heteronormativity theory of low desire, right? That is essentially getting to this piece, right? That in heterosexual scripts, right, between men and women in relationships, women tend to carry more of the emotional load, the mental load, the taking care of all of the social gatherings and planning for things, medical appointments, right, that tends to fall on women in heterosexual relationships historically. And while we have seen more equality starting to develop in those gender roles in heterosexual relationships, we are still far from equity in that, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I appreciate Dr. Van Ander's work tremendously because this is really, in the last few years that she and her lab have been publishing on this, one of the few times that we're really bringing attention to this. And we wanted to make sure to do that in our book, Desire, but it's something that has gone unspoken about for a really long time. And it's part of the reason why women have often been labeled as the low libido or the frigid partners, right? Historically, these very sexist tropes, hmm. even though research data on desire levels shows that they fluctuate the same across gender, right? Hmm. So it's not like women don't have high desire and men don't have low desire. The research data don't support that that only happens to women, right? But that is the narrative that we have written in heterosexual relationships. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because then when we feel this sense of duty, like there's this pattern that happens or that I hear about a lot where then I don't even want to like take bids for affection. I don't even want to give you a hug or a slap on the bum on the way by or interact in a way because now there is this like pressure in the room that feels suffocating. Like if I give an indication that you know, it could go down tonight, then I'm stuck living up to that expectation. And who knows what will transpire in that day, mm -hmm. mothering and parenting and all the things that could disrupt maybe even something that was maybe pre-planned. So there is this pressure. Is that something that you see a lot in your therapy rooms? We see that all the time. And it sort of takes on this sort of all or none touch and like affection and just intimate connection as a whole, it can start to feel like, you know, if I reach out to hug you, to kiss you, to cuddle up with you, and if you, my partner, have more desire for sex, you're more spontaneous, maybe you might get aroused if I start touching you, uh-oh, mm -hmm. because I don't want to do that because, you know, of what you just said, all of these things it might give you the impression that I'm open to sex when maybe I'm not. Mm -hmm. It might give you an expectation that later on something's going to happen. And then I don't feel certain that I can follow through with that. And I don't want to add to disappointment or frustration. So what can happen is slowly, even just affectionate touch, a non-sexual touch can start to dwindle as there starts to feel like this all or none with just touch and so now nobody's getting, you know, connection and closeness. And we hear both from higher and lower desire partners that that lack of touch for many folks is a distressing thing for everyone involved because usually touch is important for partners to have that kind of affection and connection, but it gets all mashed up into, is it sex? Is it not? Is it going to lead to this cycle of frustration? And so understandably, we start to avoid it and we back away from it. And then we get more and more disconnected. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we try to guide readers through in our book is starting to 
disentangle that one type of touch leads to another type of touch leads to another Mm -hmm. type of touch, right? Mm -hmm. That is often, again, a cultural script, a cultural narrative that's been taught to us from a very young age that one thing leads to this, 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 and then usually at the end of that script is penetrative intercourse. Not always, but often. Yeah. And starting to disentangle, you know, making out with one another and enjoying different types of touch doesn't necessarily lead to anything, right? Um, can help us start to get out of that anxiety avoidance cycle that is so predominant in these situations where there are desired differences, right? Where we are just so anxious about any sort of touch, which kind of takes on this black and white, all or nothing quality, as Lauren was saying. And so we just avoid, avoid, avoid. And then pretty quickly, partners are feeling majorly disconnected, not just physically, but emotionally as well. Mm-hmm. Like there is this destination that has to be reached, right? Like there mm-hmm. is this If I engage in this way, it has to result in intercourse, which is especially, I think, anxiety-provoking for maybe moms who had traumatic birth or who have pelvic floor Mm -hmm. challenges. There are also some things that I hear moms say about how we have a different relationship with our bodies postpartum sometimes. Not everybody, but some, and feel like, you know, maybe things like nipple stimulation were really sensitive and a accelerator mm-hmm. pre-children and then post-children feel like a utility and are associated with feeding and feel like a you pump the brakes immediately kind of feeling. So our relationship with our body is evolving. Our relationship with our partner is also evolving. And the time that we may have had to lay around and have that spontaneous desire or like, you know, is all but like disappeared. You know, it's just completely evaporated, especially with the young, young ages. So this relationship adjustment and body adjustment, I don't know. There's just, there's something there. The utility piece, are there other things that you hear about postpartum? Well, you write about some as well, the impact, like the desire for sex or our Mm -hmm. comfort level, things like that. I do sexual health work in a medical setting. And so a lot of what I'm talking with patients and clients about is pain Mm. in the postpartum setting, right? Mm -hmm. So sexual pain. And again, if we're focused on penetrative vaginal intercourse, penile vaginal intercourse, I have never met anyone who at six weeks postpartum is ready for that. Maybe physically, even then I'm not so sure, but emotionally and psychologically, I have never met anyone who's ready at the six-week mark, right? Mm -hmm. And so there tends to be, right, if there's pressure around, okay, it's been six weeks, let's go, that puts you at a significant risk for tensing up your muscles, right? If you're anxious about the experience, you're going to clench your body. If we're then having penetration, it can be very, very painful for folks. If there was a traumatic birth, depending on what happened, if there was tearing, right, episiotomies, there can be significant pain with vaginal penetration. And that can go on for quite a while while the body is healing. It takes longer than six weeks for sure for many people. Mm-hmm. And so if pain is part of the sexual picture, one, we need to stop doing what's painful, right? So I just want a blanket mm-hmm. statement that if sex hurts, we need to stop doing it immediately yeah. um, and seek medical care. And two, right, we need to be thinking about are there other things that we can still be doing that we're still open to that can be pleasurable, that are not painful, that can still keep us connected in this way without just gritting my teeth and forcing through postpartum pain with sex, right? Because that will only make things worse in the long term unless there's medical care. Mm-hmm. I think especially if we're falling into that like duty mindset mm-hmm. or like you had talked about pleasure being one of those 
components for desire. Like if it is not, if you don't have any motivation to like want to engage because it's painful or it's duty oriented, then it's a very like one-sided or like one-centered experience, which I do hear about sometimes. And it's hard because I think there is a, an interesting conversation about women and how we center other people's needs often before our own and sort of this whole societal expectation around our roles that we have to explore and that you do a great job of like having us explore while going through the book. And like, likewise, our partners as well have their expectations of the gender or their partner and their role. And so these conversations are such a big part of our like sexual lives. And I don't think that we would usually pair the two. There was also something that you had said about when you feel like these gender norms or roles are sort of prescribed by God in like a faith-based situation. Oh my gosh, all the more I feel the duty to adhere to this role, right? Like it's not just like a societal thing that I can take it or leave it. Like if I really feel like this is how I am a good Christian or Catholic or, you know, whatever, like it just... I don't know. It feels like an exceeding amount of pressure to try to live up to. Yeah, so much pressure. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is, you know, there's nothing wrong with sometimes having sexual experiences with a partner that is maybe more for their pleasure. Sometimes maybe it's more for your pleasure. But if your predominant or only reason for showing up for partnered sex becomes to fulfill that duty or obligation... Mm-hmm. It's not going to take long before you start to either lose responsive desire or just lose interest as a whole. Because, you know, if you were to extrapolate that from sex just with anything, right? If every time you go to do this thing with your partner, they choose the activity or they choose what feels right to them, it's geared towards them. And there's never that sort of reciprocation of like what would feel good to you. It just makes good sense that you would start to lose the interest over time. It's kind of like, what's in it for me? And why would I keep showing up for this? And that's, I think, where the resentment starts to come in. Mm -hmm. And why I think it is important to carve out that time piece instead of just be like, you know, let's make it quick or get like, it's like becomes a checklist, like a thing on the to-do list that does become like, well, let's just move it along. Whereas carving out the time to have it be like mutually focused or pleasurable. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. 
But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherina Reem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create All The Rage, Raising Kids With Less Anger and More Connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code RAGE20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code RAGE20. We'll get into some ways to like maybe break out of this cycle or how they can work together with their partners to carve out some time. But there were two other pieces quickly I just wanted to touch on before moving on is like hormone fluctuations and driver libido being attached to hormones in some way or connected to. Mm-hmm. And then also the medication piece, because it was such a big topic of conversation for my audience, for those who are on maybe like SSRIs for anxiety or postpartum depression and that robs some people's orgasms and we're not pleased about that, right? So there are a few things that also play a role in our desire as well. Yeah. We know that there is a complicated link between sex hormones, so estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, others, with spontaneous desire in particular. So spontaneous desire can ebb and flow depending on hormone levels. I would say, though, that it's not as clear a like correlation as the public is often led to believe, right? We hear mm-hmm. a lot about like, just get testosterone and that's going to rear up your sexual desire. Mm-hmm. That is not true for a lot of people, right? And so there's this very complicated role that hormones play in our spontaneous desire that we're not quite sure of yet. There's some really interesting research that leads us back to the behavioral and psychological side of things, right? That shows if you actually have pleasurable self-stimulation, regardless of your hormone levels, you're going to have more sustained spontaneous desire over the lifespan, right? Mm. I work with a lot of postmenopausal women in my clinic. Um, and so we have very similar conversations of, okay, I've had this major drop in my hormone levels, not dissimilar to the postpartum period, by the way, right? Mm. And so mm-hmm. my spontaneous desire has changed or it's maybe down a little bit lower, but not everyone experiences that either, right? So there's this very complicated mix of sex hormones and spontaneous desire that we don't fully understand yet. Mm-hmm. You actually gave a really good example of this, right? Some people can really clearly tell that they have a spike in spontaneous sexual desire with their menstrual cycle at certain points in the menstrual cycle. Other people don't feel that quite as clearly. Yeah. So we know that there's a link there. We know that there's a role there. We don't quite know how and why. And I would also put myself in the subset of women who are just like hormonally sensitive. Like I had postpartum anxiety and depression after babies. I will be on high alert for perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm. Like I just know that I tend to be one of the, you know, subset that is more just sensitive to those changes and fluctuations. So it's not just desire, like spontaneous desire. It's also mood. It's also motivation and energy and mm-hmm. fatigue and like all of those things. And I'm just sort of keenly 
aware of them. Definitely. Yeah, but not the case for everybody. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I have low hormone levels or high right. hormone levels. They could be well right. within the normal range. And I'm just particularly sensitive to them, which we we also know, which was why postpartum depression and anxiety are also have such a strange relationship with hormones that we can't quite unpack yet either. Because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily that we have too much of a hormone or too little of it. We could be well within the range, but still sensitive to these fluctuations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not so simple as just levels, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, there's so many folks who are taking SSRIs, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication. And, you know, if you are experiencing, because we know that some of them come with sexual side effects or can affect your sexual response cycle. If you're someone who's experiencing that, we do have sometimes things that we can do, whether it's to adjust the medication dosage, whether it's to Mm. change medication, whether it's to add in another medication to try to help offset those side effects. So really encourage folks to talk to their prescriber or their primary care to see what they can do. Um, Just even starting that conversation, I know, can sometimes be vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but working with your medical team, because there might be something that they can do to help with that. Sometimes it makes just good sense to keep your meds where they are if they're working well for you and try Mm -hmm. to make some other sort of adjustment, maybe an add-on. So really recommend talking to your medical team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if you are in the throes, like you're not in a position to want to mess with it, like a medication or like you're in an adjustment or you're you're in a struggle. We don't necessarily want to go changing things up too much, maybe at a more calm time or when we're getting some sleep or things. But um, yeah, talking with them and making sure that the time is uh, well calculated, I guess I'll say. One last random story about medications. I was on a beta blocker for migraines recently. We're going through some like medication trials. Tell me that it didn't rob my orgasms that I had a conversation with my doctor yesterday. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, you know, like this is really like a risk benefit conversation. Like, would you rather not have migraines and not be in pain or would you rather like have orgasms? I'm like, I would like both. Thank you very much. Can we please try a different medication? I choose C, both options. <laughs> we need to figure this out. But like, I think that working up the courage to have a conversation with a provider, if you don't have rapport with them or uncomfortable with them, can be hard. And then if they push back and try to deprioritize something that is important to you, this happens also with our postpartum mental health often with doctors. Mm-hmm. Advocate for yourself and your needs. Like it's important to make sure, like we are the keeper of our needs. We have to make sure that they get met and get some attention paid to them. Yeah. Okay. So what do we do? Maybe we're a responsive partner or maybe we're just drowning in motherhood. And like, how do we start to bring back, I don't know if it's playfulness or fun or some connection between the two of us? There's so many different things that we can do depending on context, but there are a couple of things. I know it's a big question. Yeah, it's and a it's big the question, question that makes the most yeah. sense. It's what's on everyone's <laughs> mind, right? Here are all the barriers and the problems mm. and the struggles where do we go from here and what do we do about it? And I think, you know, in part, I just want to start by saying there's no perfect answer that's going to get everybody happy and everyone's needs met all the time simultaneously. So just kind of naming that, there might even be some grief in that, right? Mm -hmm. That while we're in this really tough season, we know that relationship satisfaction can take a little bit of a nosedive after having children. These just don't have the time to devote to it that you did before. 
Mm-hmm. And so just maybe having some compassion for yourself and your partner, this kind of grace period where you're navigating sort of a new normal and you're transitioning into a new phase of your relationship. So I'll, I'll start off by saying that. Mm-hmm. The other thing is we need to really find a couple of things. One, ways to reduce the sense of pressure that's on sex. Mm-hmm. We need to reduce the sense that touch is all or none and really create more flexibility with touch. And we really need to give, especially for responsive desire folks or maybe folks who identify with more low libido, we need to give them room to find what pleasurable experience is like for them. What does that look like? What does that feel like? What would feel interesting and motivating to you? And right now, maybe it's not explicitly sexual. Maybe it's like, hold me, like have skin to skin time with your partner. Maybe it's, you know, just to feel you close to me, having a cuddle, having a caress, having a massage. So often we're talking about how to expand sexuality and intimacy so that it's not just this narrowly defined experience, because the more narrow that is, the harder it is for us to adhere to it over time. More and more things get thrown on our plate that can throw it off, right? And so let's say you're having harder time cultivating responsive desire. You're not getting aroused like you used to. Your orgasms are now, you know, in the tank because you're on a new medication. Instead of that being just sort of this all or none, we're just, you know, rigidly stuck on if that's not possible, we just don't engage at all. We're trying to find ways to expand intimate connection as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so is there a way for us to connect? What are those ways that we can connect? And maybe that means instead of having a half hour or an hour, now we have five to 10 minutes to connect. Mm -hmm. Maybe instead of every time when we used to have penetration and both have orgasms, maybe now it's just more like we get a bit aroused, we have some desire, we enjoy ourselves. And then we're going to go to sleep and come back to it another time because we just don't have either the time, energy, focus to do much else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about the feeling seen and connected. And I think this is such a big piece of the invisible load part because if we don't see seen, valued, and acknowledged, it's really hard to want to move towards, right? Like there feels like there is some sort of blockage there. Because I'm just like thinking about things that like are meaningful to me that make me want to carve out that time or prioritize this with my partner and like feeling seen or having like a sense of we are in in the throes of this wild parenting situation together. (laughs) And like we just see each other and we know we have each other's backs. There's just like a team connection there you know, and like the, all the TikTok videos make me think about the porn for moms where the (laughs) husbands are doing all the stuff around the house. Like, I mean, you'd be surprised. It goes a long way because then my to-do list has shrunk quite a bit and I might have more space. So if we do something like, hey, let's close the house down together. Let's sprint this out for 15 minutes and take that extra time that I would be doing this and let's go carve out some time together, right? Like Mm -hmm. those are legitimate factors that somebody has to tend to that weigh on our minds that are important. So having a partner think about and see those things and just take ownership over some of those things also goes a long way. And I mean, it's so random to make this bridge between the invisible load and like our desire, but it's so true for so many of us. 
Yeah, I, I don't think that's random at all. I think you've really hit the nail on the head, right? If we are not feeling seen, feeling valued, feeling appreciated, and feeling assisted by our partners, right, in hopefully an equitable way, it can get really easy to start to feel objectified around sex. Mm. Something we hear a lot, right, is I feel like they only want me for my body. Or I feel like they only want me for the sexual experience, right, because that emotional disconnect mm-hmm. has been happening. And so, yeah, if somebody is not feeling valued or seen, of course, there will be an impact Mm -hmm. on desire. I feel like I could legitimately talk to you both about this all day long. And we are over (laughs) time. And I'm so sad that this has to end. But your book is such a great, practical, approachable guide. And it covers all the important things. It's honestly so great. And it is for both partners. So if you are listening and you're struggling with this, or this is a conversation between you and your partner often, I've finished reading my copy and my husband is going to also read it. And I think we'll have a better just understanding or uh, vocabulary to sort of share our experience with one another. And it's a conversation we're already having. This just gives us sort of the criteria to be able to have it more effectively, I feel like. And also the mindset pieces going through the all or nothing thinking, like there's just so much value here that we can't possibly cover in one podcast, but I encourage everybody to, you know, go read it, buy it, listen to it, rent it from your library. If you have to like do what you need to do to just take in the information so that you can have productive conversations with your partner. Like we don't want to get stuck in these patterns where we're just resenting and and feeling like we're drifting further and further apart. This gives us the language to really get somewhere, I feel like, in those conversations. So where can people find you? Where can they buy the book? Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. People can buy the book anywhere books are sold. Um, Your independent bookstores support them, Um, but really anywhere books are sold. Folks can find me online on my professional page on Instagram at Dr. Jennifer Wetzel. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, at Dr. Lauren Fogel Mercy. And I also have a website with information about the book. It's drlaurenfogel.com. We'll link all of that in the show notes so people can easily click out and find you. I'm really curious about all your questions. Those of you who are listening, please spam me with them and I will go knocking on Dr. (laughs) Lauren and Jen's door to have them back and answer some listeners' questions because this is such an important topic that Uh, I feel like we often lack the tools and language to discuss. So make sure you submit those questions to us. And thanks again so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like the work that Dr. Lauren and Dr. Jennifer have done on this book should be required reading, not just for new parents, but for everyone. So many of us have been conditioned to think about sex in a certain way, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And when those messages we hear focus on gender norms or purity culture, these kinds of nuanced conversations about desire don't happen. It's so valuable to understand these two types of desire, the spontaneous and the responsive. So many moms I speak with feel frustrated and blindsided by their lack of desire in motherhood. But it makes so much sense that for many of us, that responsive desire just isn't being activated when we have little ones. We're touched out, we're exhausted, we're overwhelmed, And we might not have the tools in place to speak with our partner about these things, to work through the resentment, or to explore what sex or intimacy might look like in a different way than it used to. One of the biggest takeaways for me is those four tenets of cultivating sexual desire, consent, timing, focus, and pleasure. If you're struggling to feel sexual desire, I encourage you to think about those areas. Are those being provided to you? 
Are you so overwhelmed by the mental load that sex is feeling more like a chore? Are you able to focus? Are you feeling pleasure? Or is what once worked for you no longer working for you? These are the places where you and your partner can start to create some space for you to explore what feels good now, what can activate that responsive desire, and how you can find your footing again. And if you're the high desire partner, what can you do to put in place the space that your partner might need? What barriers might they be feeling? And how can you support them and explore different methods of intimacy to help reignite some responsive desire? I can't wait to hear your thoughts about this episode and what types of conversation this has opened up with you and your partner. If this episode has resonated with you, send me a DM or take a moment to leave a review. I'd love to hear your feedback. And if you're not sure where to start with communicating these things with your partner, or if you're carrying resentment in your relationship that's impacting your sexual desire, working with a mom therapist can help. Book a free virtual consult at momwell.com booking. That's momwell.com booking. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are going back into the vault to pull episode 104 with New York Times bestselling author Eve Brodsky to talk about her book, Fair Play, and redistributing labor in the home. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the Momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to Momwell. Settling is not an option. For Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, for the girls who want more. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.